In February 2007, I was in Colorado Springs at a conference, and uh, I was at dinner at one of these tables where you don't know anybody, and all around me were people from Colorado Springs at this table, and um, they were all from the same church attending this conference in their town. And uh, put very simply, these people were devastated because about two or three months before, uh, their pastor, Ted Haggard, uh, became involved in a scandal that made national news. Uh, he had been, uh, and was at that time, a national figure. He was the leader of the National Association of Evangelicals, and he had become involved in a scandal involving sexual immorality and use of meth and all kinds of things involved with that, and he had fallen. As, uh, and and we, we have become all too used to this kind of story, where you have someone just kind of rocketing to prominence, and then all of a sudden they flame out, and they just plummet back down to earth. And so around me at this table were the people who saw him not as a national figure or a celebrity, but as their pastor. They were just devastated. They were devastated for him. They were devastated for their church. And um, in, in some degree, they were still in shock. This was only three months after uh, the glare of national media attention was on them and their church and their pastor, their pastor's wife, their kids. And in, in all of this devastation, they, they really were still just beginning to process what had happened. And it struck me uh, as I listened to them talk and uh, prayed with them just how volatile and unstable our celebrity culture as evangelicals really is. How many times have we seen someone rise to celebrity, get huge, and then they're destroyed by some scandal or other? It has almost become a cliche, and the names just continue to get added to the list. Here's something that filled me with dismay at that table. Another couple at that table uh, were coming from another church, following another celebrity pastor, and they saw it as their job that night around that table to instruct these hurting people about why their pastor had fallen. And of course, it was all because of the, the theology that he had and the problems that he had, and so you can get that scene. And it, it's, it was a very grim conversation. Um, and I struggled to simply change the subject. Get, get this faction quiet and let's get talking about something else that will bring healing. And what filled me with dismay as that table, at that table was the factionalism around celebrities 
that was on display right there with eight people. And it was destroying at least five or six of the people at that table. We have a celebrity culture as evangelicals. And uh, that celebrity culture is uh, something that increasingly dominates our attention. Um, there's, uh, could somebody fix the laptop here? I think the something is not plugged in. It may be the USB. Thank you. You are my savior. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Temporarily. In a technical sense. <laughs> not a theological sense. In our uh, celebrity culture, we are acting like we can renew the church through fame. We're acting like we can achieve spiritual renewal by riding somebody else's celebrity, somebody else's personality, somebody else's material, somebody else's intelligence, charisma, insight, vision, whatever it may be. We've been doing this for a long time, probably goes all the way back to the first Great Awakening when America was being toured by amazing preachers, George Whitfield, John Wesley, and, and others were touring our nation and bringing the word of God, and they were bringing also the power of their personalities and their insights and their, their talents and their ability to sway people. And so you would have in, in one open-air meeting, George Whitfield addressing 10,000 people, as counted by Ben Franklin, who should have been listening to the sermon instead of <laughs> taking attendance, but there we are. And today, it's almost like this cult of celebrity has taken over churches. And it's almost like we, uh, we define ourselves as, uh, as who we are as a church or the kind of ministry we follow by saying, we're this kind of church or we're that kind of church. We're, we follow this teacher or that visionary. And uh, we just love this stuff. We live for these big stadium kinds of meetings. And we live to kind of suck energy from a famous person. The problem is that this celebrity culture is unstable and it is destroying us. We don't know any of these people. I didn't know Ted Haggard. I liked Ted Haggard because of what I had read about him, the way I'd seen him communicate. Uh, he was an evangelical who wasn't weird on the national stage. I thought that was a good thing. So I liked him. But I didn't know him. Neither did anybody else. Neither did anyone in, in his church. And uh, the fact is, there are a lot of, of teachers I admire and, and love. There are leaders I admire and love. I don't know them. 
And so if I start to follow them in, in the sense of lending my soul to them for their energy, or worse, if I say to you as the pastor of this church, I want you to follow that celebrity because that person's got this wired. That person has the vision that we need. That person is anointed by God. So let's all follow that person will be that person's kind of church. If I do that, I believe I'm committing a deep crime against you spiritually by abdicating my responsibility to you as a pastor to be in direct relationship with you. I want to talk with you about this this morning because we are considering um, this time we're living in where people have, have become deeply disillusioned about every institution in our culture, whether it's government, education, the professions, whatever it may be. People have lost the ability to trust that they're being told the truth, that they are being treated well, that, that they are dealing with a healthy institution. They've lost that confidence. And nowhere is that more true than churches. And we are asking the question, given the fact that churches today have become an increasingly dangerous place where you don't necessarily know who you're dealing with, and you don't necessarily know whether you can trust the agendas at the church, how do we grow? How do we have hope that we can grow spiritually, that we can um, uh, really be deeply connected with God in the Holy Spirit? How do we restore that strength that we have in the gospel when we can't trust the institution or the community we're dealing with? We uh, here at this church don't know any other way to address problems like this than just, just lay them on the table and talk about them with as much candor as we can muster. So, what we're going to do this morning is consider the importance of relationship and our, our case study for this series, which will go through uh, late October, is... The Corinthian church and Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church, which was troubled, as we saw last time, the Corinthians were disillusioned with each other. They were disillusioned with Paul. They were suspicious of him, skeptical of the things that he said. And yet Paul led them out of that disillusionment by pointing their hope to the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're taking this as a case study and we're just asking, how did Paul water his own hope? How did he nourish the hope of this church, the Corinthian church? How did they move beyond this disillusionment with each other to a sense of strength and power in the grace of God. And this morning, we're going to focus on relationship from the first three verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation. 
written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. How can we, as Christians here in this place, in this church, how can we recover real, deep, vital relationships with each other? And how can we say no to the spiritual junk food of celebrity culture? These are the questions that we're asking this morning. Let's dive in to this issue of recommendations in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. What is Paul talking about here? Um, he is writing at a time very much like our own where uh, people were constantly encountering and all the different churches that were being started around the Roman world at that time, people were encountering itinerant teachers, teachers that would go from place to place they would be on tour, as it were, taking their message, their teaching to different churches, different synagogues, different uh, uh, communities all around the world. And this was not just characteristic of the church. This was characteristic of the whole Roman culture. It was very vibrant intellectually and culturally. There was a lot going on. So, uh, the, these cities like Corinth, at the, at the gateway to Europe, or Rome, or Antioch, somewhat north of Jerusalem, further to the east, uh, these cities, Ephesus in modern-day Turkey, these were no longer isolated little city-states that had armies of their own and cultures of their own, and they didn't really interact with outsiders. That was not the way this was. They were constantly interacting with what was going on in other cities, in other places. The travel was empowered by the peace that the Roman Empire had brought to the world and the technologies. You could take a ship from one place to the other. You had roads you could travel. And so, like today, where we see technology just taking information and just going like this with it. It's a great thing. It's the same thing that was happening in the Roman world at that time. And it raised the same problems. Well, this seems like a charming individual. He's witty. He's a good performer. He's glib. It all sounds good, but does anybody know this guy? Does anybody have any background on this teacher? I mean, he just showed up here in this church, and he's just kind of taking it by storm, but no one really knows him. Is he trustworthy? Is he faithful? Is he going to treat my soul right? Same questions in those days. And what Paul is addressing here in verse 1 of chapter 3 is one of the ways they tried to solve this problem, and that's letters of recommendation. Letters of recommendation, you're very familiar with that concept. If you ever apply for a job, you probably carry along a letter from somebody who knows you to someone who doesn't know you. 
And we hope the person who knows you says in the letter, this is a really good guy. This is a really good person, and she's going to do a good job for you, and I recommend her, or I recommend him. Same thing with these teachers uh, in, in the Roman world at Paul's time. And uh, Corinth was no stranger to this. Paul was not the first itinerant teacher to show up in Corinth. There were others, and he wasn't the last. In fact, this culture of itinerant teachers, many of them even apostles from Jerusalem, blowing through Corinth created the same thing that I saw at that table in Colorado Springs. Factions around celebrities. Even when it was... Peter or Apollos or Paul, who had no intention of creating factions around their names, just the fact that they were big names and important figures created those factions in the Corinthian church, and it caused these kinds of problems. So what Paul is saying here is, Corinthians, I know you're skeptical of me because there have been people attacking me, raising all kinds of problems, um, questioning my motives, questioning whether I'm really telling you the truth. I know you have all these questions, and to some extent, you're even disillusioned with me. You're not feeling well-treated by me because, as we saw last time, we've got conflicts. We've had things we needed to work out. I know that. So... Corinthians, do I need a letter of recommendation to you? Am I a celebrity who needs some kind of, uh, you know, the, the pack of paparazzi behind him in order to signify, yeah, this is a big important guy. You should pay attention to him. Uh, do I need um, to have big stadium meetings in order to get your attention? Do I need to have all of these kinds of accoutrements of fame in order to seem trustworthy to you? Do you need letters of recommendation from somewhere else? Or do you feel you need to write a letter of recommendation about me? What we're seeing here is right from the very beginning of Christianity, there was a problem of celebrities and disillusionment with celebrities and wondering what's real, who's telling the truth, and how do we figure this out? Paul basically asks, do I need a letter of recommendation to you in the midst of all of this? And the implied answer is no. I've already got it. Here's what he says in verse 2. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. What is he saying here? He's saying, if someone wants to know whether I'm genuine, I am going to hold out my relationship with you and your relationship with me as the letter of recommendation. Now, if you think about that, that's kind of risky. First reason it's risky is 
the relationship is troubled right now. That's why he's writing this letter. So he's saying, my letter of recommendation is my troubled, difficult, disillusioned relationship with you. How good a recommendation is that? So that's a risky thing to say. The other risky thing about it is that in order for someone to be written on your heart, you actually have to have opened your heart to that person. You have to be soft toward that person. You have to have a a sense. That person is, is trustworthy. I can depend on them. And in the context of his troubled relationship with the Corinthian church, maybe the Corinthians are saying, no, I don't think we want you written on our hearts. Hurts too much. We don't like the fact that you're confronting things that are going on in our church. It's making life difficult for us. We just think it would be better if you stopped pointing these things out and went somewhere else. We don't want you written on our hearts. And we don't want to be written on your heart. Have you ever felt this way? It's just too painful. Um, I just don't want to be open with people who I think are going to do this to me again. Maybe it's spouses. Maybe it's children. Adult children. Grandchildren. Pastors. Co-workers. Siblings. I just don't want to open myself up to get hurt again. So this is a very risky thing that Paul is saying here. Here's what I would say about this. If the proposition is that we can have hope by riding someone else's celebrity, staying superficial, not being really open to who they are, or, really, or, or having them be really open to who we are, if we're saying that that's the way church is going to be, it's going to be a little hive devoted to celebrities we don't know, then in all candor, I'm saying to you as your pastor, pack it up and go home. There is no hope in celebrity culture. There is no hope in saying, yes, I'm coming to church, I'm coming to worship the Lord, but I'm not open to the people at all. Keep the people out of my face. They hurt. And when they're not hurting, hurting me, they're annoying me. You know, this is just some of the reality that we face when we come to church. I want to be here for God. It's the people that have the question mark. What, what Paul is saying is, no, that's not my attitude toward you in our troubles, Corinthians. And it can't be your attitude toward me either because our relationship is the letter of recommendation. Let me put this a little bit differently. If our churches have built superficial relationships with no roots, no depth, no openness, no honesty, 
and we're all having a good time, but we're not actually dealing with any of the real gospel questions in our hearts, in our families, or any of those things. If that's the culture of churches, what is our letter of recommendation to our society saying? It's saying, not up to the task. Not trustworthy, not deep enough, not safe. In other words, we've already seen a letter of recommendation written. And it's, it's really a, an important time for us to face what is on that page. What's on that page is not really a recommendation. Now, that can change. In fact, it must change. I have deep hope that it will change, but it must change. So, uh, these are some of the issues that just verse 2 raises for me. Paul is saying, you're the letter of recommendation. I want you to just observe a couple of things here. Go back to chapter 1. I want you to observe how open Paul is with these Corinthians about what he's going through. And before I read you this paragraph, let me just ask you this. When you're in a troubled relationship with someone, do you open up or close down? When I'm in a troubled relationship with someone, I get more guarded. I start closing down. I don't open myself up. I don't, I don't want to reveal what is actually going on in my heart to a person I don't necessarily trust. Watch this with that in mind. Chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Have you ever felt that way? Who did you say that to? The people who were making you despair of life itself? Did you say it to anybody? Or did you bury that? Paul is saying these words about his actual emotional state to people who are in a troubled relationship with him. He's opening up, not closing down. He goes on, indeed, Verse 9, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. He is opening up the deep difficulty and pain and even despair of his heart to people who are not necessarily the most trustworthy at this point. And he is saying, this is what it's like for me. Now contrast this with celebrity culture. Celebrity culture is all about becoming, having this, this image 
of being invincible. Being a total success all the time. And never taking a wrong step. Never being out of control. And this, this celebrity culture we're in uh, is designed to impress us with the power of a personality who is just always in command. Is Paul's confession here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 ever going to fly in celebrity culture? No, it's not. And uh, so that leads to the other question. Will, it, will Paul's confession here fly if the letter of recommendation is his relationship with the Corinthians? Yes, it will. Because if he opens up to them and if he shows them who he is and what is going on in his life, then they can start to do that with him. They can rebuild this relationship. And when people encounter that relationship, what do they see? Care, love, forgiveness. Problems in the past resolved. Problems in the future will be resolved. There's confidence toward the future because we know who we are and we know we're together. That's quite a letter of recommendation, isn't it? I want us as a church to have that kind of letter of recommendation in our community, in this state. We want churches all over this state to have the letter of recommendation out there safe, faithful, loving, trustworthy able to resolve these problems. It is built on the kind of openness that Paul is showing here. But you also see, and this is a, a second thing I want you to notice about this letter, Paul is actually confronting the issues between them. He is not letting the elephant in the room sit there without comment. He's not pretending everything's fine. He's not giving glib little smiles and saying, everything's just great, just peachy, there are no problems, we are so happy, happy, happy. That's not the message of 2 Corinthians at all. It wasn't the message of 1 Corinthians or the two or, or perhaps uh, multiple other letters that he wrote to them. Those letters were about, there's an issue, but we can resolve it in the power of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can grow through this issue. So there's openness both about what Paul himself and his team is going through and there's openness about the nature of the problems. And that openness is creating this kind of relationship with them. He's saying the relationship is the letter of recommendation. Verse 3. He says something else. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. Okay, who's writing this letter of the relationship between Paul and the Corinthian church? Is Paul writing this letter? No. Paul is the postman. He's got the letter. It has the stamp. He's got the address, delivers it to the address, walks away. That's it. That's all the role he has there. 
The letter is the Corinthian church. Who's writing that letter? Christ. God himself. So you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. The spirit. So we've celebrated the death of Christ this morning. It was his blood that kept the wrath of God away from us and will into the future preserve us, cover us from the wrath of God. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And because he rose again and ascended to the right hand of his Father, he poured out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we said last time from chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians and verse 21, the Holy Spirit is the seal of God upon the church. Here's how he put it back in chapter 1. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal upon us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Here's what he is not saying. God gave you as an individual his spirit so that you have that guarantee as an individual standing before God. Now, you have that, but that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is God established us together. And the Holy Spirit indwells us as the body of Christ together. And that is the seal of God. Now, when we think about sealed packaging, you think of shrink wrapping. That's not exactly what we have in mind here. We don't want, that to, we don't want to be sealed in that way, shrunk wrapped in the Holy Spirit. It sounds a little confining. Suffocating, yeah. That's not what's in view here. What's in view here is the fact that when you wrote a letter to someone, you would put hot wax over the, the letter, and you, especially if you were an official, you would take your signet ring and you would impress your seal upon that letter, saying, this is from this individual, the king, the emperor, this important person, and that's his seal from his own ring on that wax. So where does that letter go? It goes to the person who has the right to break the seal. You know how this goes. Because in Revelation, there's only one person who has the right to break that seal. This is the Holy Spirit of God coming upon us bringing us together, establishing us together, because as sinners before God and before each other, we have nothing to fear. Nothing. We're cleansed. Our debts are paid, and we're all in the same position. So the fear is dispelled by that, and the love and the confidence and the boldness with each other is affirmed by the indwelling in all of us of the Holy Spirit. 
And that's the seal of God. That's what says, this is the real deal. I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say, oh, that church, they're just, they're growing like crazy. They, they've got, they're building a new building. They got all these programs. They got this, they got that. And the Lord is really at work there. Well, maybe. Something's at work there. It might be the Lord. What really tells the story is when you go there and you discover these people are filled together with the Holy Spirit. They have a life together. They have a community together. They trust each other. They are safe with each other. They, um, they have aspirations together. They're pursuing things together. You, you can go uh, uh, to a ministry and see this in action. And sometimes these vast churches are, are vast not because they're doing something wrong, but because the seal of God is upon them. And they have... They have attained this, this mantle of ministry and the Spirit of God has given it to them. But what's the proof? It's the letter of recommendation, the relationship between the people and each other, their pastor and the people and Jesus Christ. The celebrity means nothing. And in all reality, it means nothing to the people in that church. What they care about is the community and the oneness they have in Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what animates them. That's what drives them. Question, have you ever seen this in action? Well, praise the Lord. I, I feel like I'm seeing this here. I have seen it in other places. I have also been grieved not to see it. I have been grieved to see it destroyed. And so in, in all of these kinds of, of considerations, um, what Paul is saying here is simply, thank you, um, orienting us to the things that matter. And it's not celebrity, it's relationship. So, um, this comes from the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of the living God who does this. He doesn't write it on tablets of stone. He writes it on tablets of human hearts. That is to say, people who opened themselves up to each other tenderly and were written on. You ever seen the stylus that they would use to write on tablets? Sharp. It's not written with ink. Um, it's written not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So you would, you would literally carve out the message in soft clay. The clay would harden and there's your message or your record or whatever it might be. And um, I don't know about you, but that sounds like it would hurt to have the message carved into your heart by the deepening 
of your relationship with another person. That's what we're talking about. So the question is, if we want to really nourish our hope in Christ, are we willing to go there and have things written on our hearts? Before we go on, let me look at some questions here. How open? <laughs> as open as you can be today. You're not responsible for being totally open. You're responsible for mo opening more today. That's all. The rest of it you can't do. The Holy Spirit of God is going to write on our hearts as we open up a little bit more today and a little bit more tomorrow, a little bit more the next day. It's a progressive thing. It's a process. I would say it is a mistake to try to force openness. That's just another gimmick. It's another way of uh, releasing a lot of emotional energy without really knowing whether it's safe or what that emotional energy is going to do. Um, so that is a very good question. Pastors have the difficult position to be open, transparent, studied, accurate, humble. We get to know and respect them, maybe put them on too high a place. I would give you a letter of recommendation. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> That's hope for me. There's trust. Um, but what if there is no hope in that? What, I used to trust another institution with my life, and I don't have trust in that institution, and so there's no hope in that either. Um, how do you keep your hope? It's, this is another version of that shorter question, how open? Um, but the, the more detail there uh, tells the story. I'm feeling this again. I'm feeling this openness, this tenderness, this trust. What if I lose it again? Then what? Well, who's writing the letter? And this goes back to the, the, the observation in, in that uh, comment and question. Um, if you're putting the pastor or the celebrity in the position of writing the letter, then you have to please the celebrity, right? And you've got to get along with whoever that is. But if Christ is writing the letter, then everybody needs to honor him, whether they're in a more visible position or a less visible position, whether they, they have influence over many people or no influence over anybody. Or maybe it feels that way. So uh, it, one way to keep your hope is to keep always in front of you that, that reminder, who's writing this letter anyway? I'm not writing it. You're not writing it. Christ is writing it on us. Can you trust me? Well, I want that. I, I desire that. I'm earnest for that. I am also going to fail that. So in an ultimate way, no, you can't. Who can you trust then for us together? Well, it has to be Christ and his work in the Holy Spirit.
so that you're trusting him that if I am off track, he will get me on track. And I can trust him that if you're off track, he will get you on track. By the way, this is a wonderful principle for marriage, friendship, all kinds of things. Um, so uh, how open do we be as open as you can be today? Who are you trusting? You have to trust the letter writer, and that's Jesus. Another question here, and then we'll carry on. And many of us have been burned badly, especially by those we loved and trusted. What kind of courage does it take to open up my heart to trust and love vulnerably again? How can I find that courage? Why should I bother in that kind of effort? These are excellent questions. Let's take the last one first. Why should you bother? Because you're dying alone. That's why. You're shriveling up in your spiritual life for lack of fellowship with the Spirit of God in the people of God. That's why you need to bother with this. And uh, if that is not an influential enough reason, then the failure of the church of God in our society is reflecting our lack of bothering with this. That, and that, that's why we are losing influence with so many people. It's why we um, are not seeing the growth of the kingdom of God that we want to see. That's why because we're not bothering with the openness with each other. Now, how do you find the courage to do that? One day at a time, one conversation at a time, one issue at a time. Again, we're back to that short question, how open? Well, how open can you be today? The Spirit of God is not expecting you to be as open with the people in this church as you are or have been with the most trusted person and faithful person in your life, he's not expecting you to do that. That's not the standard here. The standard is, have we opened up today? And can we open up a little bit further tomorrow? The courage comes incrementally. It comes slowly in, in bits. Um, and how do we open our hearts up to trust and love vulnerably again? Just need to take those steps That's, uh, uh, and, and be content with small progress. Um, what are our priorities? And I'll have to go through these very quickly because uh, we're running out of time. But I think you see the point in what we're saying. I think the matter is this severe. Either we recover the power of the Spirit of God by submitting ourselves to that seal on the body of Christ. Either we reform the way we view church or Christian witness disappears. That's where it is. Now, maybe it's not that way in other parts of the United States, but it is that way here in California. It is that way in Oregon. It is that way in Washington. This is crunch time. So just as 500 years ago, 
Christian witness about the gospel had disappeared because Rome held souls under its thumb for money. Just as at that time the church had to reform its doctrine and practice, so today we are caught in a cult of celebrity that demands reformation of our doctrine and practice. Let me give you three priorities that I think come to the fore and uh, related specifically to us. Let's become producers, not consumers of celebrity culture. As a church, let's understand that it is not our job to promote somebody's movie. I like Kirk Cameron, makes good movies, people get a lot out of it. It is not our job to promote his movies. It is not our job to promote somebody's books. It is not our job to promote any of this celebrity culture. Our job is to say, we have the Spirit of God. We have the Scriptures. Let's not consume what other people have done, good as it is. It's not here and it's not us. Let's produce together. I had a great team with uh, uh, meeting with the arts team on Tuesday night. We're talking about Advent. This is an approach we started a couple of years ago, and I just use this to illustrate um, what I'm talking about. We have painters. We have photographers. We have graphic designers. We have writers. We have um, dancers, musicians. We've got all these people. So we just said a few years ago, let's produce our way of celebrating Advent. Let's collaborate and let's grow together in producing the things that God has given us to produce. Let's not buy off the shelf stuff that other people have done. Let's be us serving God and remembering Advent together with what we produce. If you do this, it's a lot harder because it means we actually have to get to work. If there's a play, somebody's got to write the play. If there's a, a song, maybe somebody needs to write the song. Somebody's going to have to sing the song. We're not going to push play and listen to somebody sing the song from somewhere else and we don't know them. We're going to sing the song. Somebody actually has to put paint on the paintbrush and produce the painting. And here's what, what can be the hardest part. We actually have to sit in a room together and come up with that common approach that says we together are going are to have a unified theme and we're all going to contribute what we can toward that theme. This is the difference between a church that is following the Spirit of God and a church that's just buying it off the shelf and sucking spiritual energy out of somebody else's fame. Produce. 
minister, bring what you have. You, through your gifting in the Holy Spirit, can affect and change this body. And it is more powerful coming from you than it is from something we buy off the shelf. Let's be producers, not consumers. Secondly, relate, don't withdraw. It's very important and it's very hard. And really, the questions we've looked at, these are the things that are on people's hearts. I just, I want to withdraw. I can't handle this. This is difficult. It's hard work. It's painful. How do I do this? Well, again, I'll just summarize what we've already said. You're not called to be the most open relational person you've ever been today, this afternoon, right now. You're called to grow in this area a little bit today and a little bit more tomorrow. And don't bail. Don't run in fear. If we do this, then uh, we have what is starting to develop at the hub where you get different, re different generations relating to each other. Where uh, kids coming to the church have the freedom and feel the comfort level to go up and talk to adults, which they do here. It's been the most massive change in the last uh, year in our church. The interaction between adults and children, it is powerful. And how does that come? Through relationships. Um, relate, don't withdraw. Third priority, teach, don't entertain. It is not my job to make you laugh and cry. My job as your pastor is with living life with you, in dialogue with you, to open the scriptures with you and teach. This means um, demanding work from you and from me. Uh, it's work to study the scriptures. And so when we come together on Sunday morning, the agenda is we're going to dedicate, devote our minds and hearts to the powerful things of God's word. We're not going to sit passively and be entertained about with, with Christianish content. And so the call of God on our lives and what we're going to continue to unfold over the next weeks is the role of the Spirit of God in making us producers of ministry, not consumers of it, in making us relational people, not divided and isolated people, the power of the Spirit of God to come into us and inhabit us with God's truth and His power and His glory. All of these things we will continue to up un unfold over the next number of weeks. For now, will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we call upon your name right now because there is such an urgent need in our hearts not to be isolated. There is an urgent need for depth of community and relationship. There is an urgent need for hope that all of these things can be recovered and rebuilt when perhaps we've lost them. 
there is also one more urgent need, and that is that for many of us, we've never seen this in family life, in church life. And so all of this is just kind of a lot of theory. We need to see it become reality. Will you work in our hearts? I pray that you would give confidence and peace to each person here that they would feel called to this work, that they would feel called to believe in the Spirit of God, to nourish and water their hope in you by cultivating a relationship with others, even past their fears. Give us this confidence and boldness, we pray. And as, as we trust you, we know we will see you work and we will give you all the glory. We ask it in your name. God's people said, Amen.